As the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, he was dealing with a very serious problem that had arisen within the churches there. We can say this problem was a doctrinal problem and really centered around the issue or the question, what does man need to be saved from his sin? Or what is necessary for salvation? This was the great question, this was the great issue that was raging in the church in Galatia. What does man need for salvation? What does man need to have his sins forgiven and to enjoy eternal life? The word of God makes it clear. All that man needs for salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the clear, this is the simple teaching of scripture. What man needs to have salvation is the Savior. He needs Jesus Christ. When the Philippian jailer cried out to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Their immediate response was, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. In other words, in other words they were telling this man, Simple faith in Christ is that which will bring you salvation. Looking to him by faith, calling upon him by faith, then you will come to know his salvation in your life. The words of John 3.36 are equally as clear. The Savior said there, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Here we are told of the great difference between those who are trusting in Christ for salvation and those who don't trust in him as their Savior. Those that look to him by faith for salvation have everlasting life. Have everlasting life. And that's what they receive. That's what they obtain. The great blessing of everlasting life. But those that refuse to look to Christ by faith, the wrath of God abideth on them. They shall perish in their sin. They have got no hope. They have got no hope of salvation if they haven't got Christ. Think also of the words of Acts 4 verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Only through the name of Christ, only in him, can man be saved. And so the word of God is clear, most clear, emphatically clear. Only in Christ and in him alone can man have salvation. What is then necessary for salvation? What men and women must have to be saved from their sin and enjoy eternal life is the Lord Jesus Christ. They must know him by faith. They must personally know him as their saviour. They must possess him. And they must have him as theirs. However, in the churches at Galatia, the simple and scriptural message of the gospel had been corrupted by false teachers. These false teachers did not deny that Christ was necessary for salvation. They didn't deny that. But they taught that Christ was not enough for salvation. The gospel these men preached declared to be saved. Men and women also had to follow all the ceremonies, all the rituals and all the practices of Judaism. And so they were saying salvation is through Christ plus the religious deeds and good works of men. And this was the message they were preaching. And this, of course, is a false gospel. These false teachers were engaged in spreading false doctrine. They were teaching things which were erroneous. Things that were unscriptural. They were really preaching a message that wouldn't bring eternal life or bring salvation. 
Therefore, as Paul addresses this most serious issue that had come into the churches in Galatia, he shows the error of this false doctrine that was being taught. And he argues the case for the true gospel, which Christ had given to the apostles. And this is what Paul is doing here. In the first half of this epistle, Paul is really like a learned scholar or a skilled lawyer. For he sets forth different arguments in defense of the truth. And he holds up the gospel of Jesus Christ before the Galatians that they might come to understand once again. It is only in Christ and in Christ alone that they can be saved. This then is the way Paul had been speaking to the Galatians up until this point. In a very logical and in a very scientific manner. Defending the truth of the gospel with biblical arguments and and biblical reasoning. And he's behaving like a lawyer. Or a good scholar here. Bringing argument after argument after argument. Showing them the foolishness of, of, of trusting in these false teachers. And bringing before them the true gospel. And he's approaching it in this logical and this scientific manner. But as we come to this passage that is before us this evening, Galatians 4, verses 12 to 20, we see here that Paul now speaks to the Galatians in a slightly different way. He speaks to them in a different way. We might say in the first part of this letter, Paul was seeking to get the truth into the heads of the Galatians, using arguments and logical reasoning. But now as we come to these verses We see that Paul is speaking to get the truth into the hearts of the Galatians. He's focusing now upon their hearts. Before it, he was concentrating on the doctrinal state of the church. But now he comes to focus on the spiritual state of the church. On the hearts of the people there within the congregations in Galatia. Of course, these two things... The doctrinal and the spiritual are very much connected. We must have the right doctrine if we're going to be right spiritually. And this is why Paul begins by setting forth the air of their ways and preaching the true gospel, setting forth Christ, before he addresses their hearts. Because our doctrine must be right, first of all, before we can be right spiritually. As Paul then writes to the Galatians in these verses that we're coming to this evening, He shines the spotlight of truth upon their hearts and speaks to them of the great problem of spiritual backsliding. The great problem of spiritual backsliding. Of course, this was the problem in the church there. They had backslid. Not only doctrinally, but also spiritually. Turning away from Christ. Notice again the words of verse 12 here in Galatians 4. Brethren, I beseech you, Be as I am, for I am as ye are. See here, Paul addresses the people in the churches in Galatia as brethren. He's addressing them in a tenderly, tender, loving manner. And this shows to us that he looks upon these people as his brothers and sisters in Christ. But then he says, I beseech you. And what's he doing is he he utters those words, I beseech you. He's imploring them. He's exhorting them. And then he says, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Now what these words really mean is, Paul was saying, I once was like you, deceived by false teachers and false doctrine. But you now need to be like me. 
and follow Christ as I do. Basically, what Paul was saying to these believers in Galatia was, you've wandered from Christ, but now you need to return. In heart and in life, you've fallen into a backslidden state as you've given heed to false teachers, but now you need to see Christ again. That's exactly what it means here in verse 12. I once was like you, deceived by false teachers, but now you need to be like me. You need to return to Christ again. And he says, I beseech you. He's imploring these people. He's addressing their hearts. To turn from their, their, their ways and to turn to Christ. The apostle then, as he addresses the hearts of Christ's professing people in Galatia, focuses in upon the spiritual problem of backsliding. Spiritual problem of backsliding. Backsliding, of course, is a great spiritual problem. A great spiritual problem. It was a problem in Saul's day. And it's still a great problem in our times. Wandering from Christ. Walking afar off. Coldness and waywardness of heart. These are the conditions Are these the symptoms of a backslidden heart? And it is a great problem. A great problem that is very evident in the days and age in which we live. Notice then with me here a number of things, a number of very important truths about this serious issue of spiritual backsliding as Paul brings it before the people in Galatia. First thing I want to note here is the damage of backsliding. The damage of backsliding. And this is brought before us in the final words of verse 12. See again what it says in verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Notice here Paul tells the people in the churches of Galatia, ye have not injured me at all. Now why does God's servant say this to the Galatians? Why does he tell them that they had not injured or hurt him at all? Why does he use these words? Well, remember what Paul is seeking to do here. He is exhorting the believers in Galatia to turn from their wayward and backslidden state and follow Christ like he follows Christ. This is what Paul is encouraging these people to do here. He's beseeching them, as I've already emphasized. He wants them to be like him and to follow Christ. Therefore, as he says to them, ye have not injured me at all, he's really saying... I am not exhorting you to turn from your waywardness because of me. It is not for my sake or because you have injured me that I am imploring you to turn to Christ afresh. Remember, it was Paul who brought the gospel to these people. And so Paul said, it's not personal. It's nothing to do with me. It's not because I'm injured here. That's not why I'm imploring you. That's not why I'm beseeching you to turn from your waywardness. But I'm exhorting you to turn from your spiritual black backsliding because of who you are injuring and because of who you are hurting. And this is really emphasized here. Of course, this brings us to consider who the Galatians were actually injuring as they had fallen into this backslidden state. Who were they injuring? Paul does not actually state who they were injuring by their foolish behavior. Yet I do believe it is very much implied here. He didn't have to state it. Because it is implied. And in God's word it is very clear in regard to the damage that backsliding causes. Very clear. 
In the light of scripture, we can say the damage or hurt that backsliding causes is really twofold. Firstly, backsliding hurts Christ. It hurts Christ. It grieves the Lord when his people backslide in heart and life. It really hurts the Lord. It grieves his soul. We see this with Israel in the Old Testament. Think of the days of the judges. And there's many examples we could give. But think of the days of the judges. In those days, the people of Israel turned from the Lord. And they backslid in heart. And God was grieved and so so grave was God that he allowed their enemies to come and rule over them. And the very fact that God allowed the enemies of his people to rule over them reveals how he was grieved. Grieved in his soul at their backsliding and waywardness. But backsliding not only hurts the Lord in the sense of grieving him, it also hurts and injures God's reputation and testimony in this world. And that's what backsliding does. This is the damage it causes. It hurts God's testimony in this world. When his people live wayward and unholy lives, carnal lives, then God's testimony, God's reputation is injured. It is hurt. Remember what the prophet Nathan said to David after he fell into a backslidden state as he sinned with Bathsheba? Nathan said to David in 2 Samuel 2 and 12 and the verse 14, How be it because by this deed thou was, caused, thou was given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And this is what David's sin did. This is what his backsliding did. The enemies of God would blaspheme. They would mock the Lord. They would scorn and laugh at Israel's king. There's the great David. And he's supposed to be the holy man. He's supposed to be the leader of God's people. Those righteous people. Look at his sin. Look at what he's doing. And you can imagine how they would have blasphemed and mocked the Lord. You see, the Christian must always remember. Backsliding is the most serious thing. For it is that which injures and hurts Christ. We are hurting and injuring the one who loved us. The one who gave himself for us. The one who shed blood for our soul. The one who endured our hell. This is what we do when we backslide. This is what we do when we live lives of of slackness and carelessness and waywardness. It is a great offense. It is a great injury to Christ, our Savior. This is who it damages. And we all should be conscious of this. Backsliding hurts Christ. But then we can also say as we examine scripture, backsliding hurts the Christian. Hurts the Christian. This is why backsliding is so foolish and ought to be avoided at all cost. Because what the backslider really does is injure and hurt themselves. Yes, they injure Christ, but they also injure themselves. We could say spiritual backsliding is self-harm. It is to rob yourself of the great joy and blessedness of the Christian life. And remember, the Christian life is a blessed life. It's a full life. It's a glorious life. Christ has said, I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. This is the very nature of the Christian life. It's the greatest life of all. But the backslider, he's robbing himself of this. He's going to heaven, so to speak, as a second-class citizen. 
losing out, missing out on so many blessings and, 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 and comforts and joy in the Christian life. Think of Lot in the Old Testament. Lot set his heart upon the things of this world. And he really lived in what was a backslidden state of heart. Pitched his tent towards Sodom. Focused upon the things of this world. That's what he desired. That's what he wanted. That's what he built. He prospered in regard to the things of this world. But what great hurt this in the end brought into his own life. What hurt? How he injured himself. He lost his family. Tragically lost his family. He lost his testimony as well. And the backslider loses their testimony. When Lot went to his sons-in-law and warned them of God's judgment, they laughed at him. Said, you're crazy. See, he had no testimony. None whatsoever, even in his own home. And his last days were exceedingly sad. And the cave committing incest with his own daughters. Tragic is the word that we would use to describe Lot. Tragic. What a tragic story. He backslid and he hurt himself. Again, we could think of the parable of the prodigal son. Here was a young man that left the place of blessing. He left his father's house, a place of comfort, a place of wealth, a place of safety. Well, what luxuries he enjoyed. And of course, we're thinking in the physical sense here, but the application is spiritual. In his father's house, what luxuries, what comforts, what riches he had there. Lack for nothing. But he went to the far country. Where did he end up? He ended up with the pigs. He ended up in the place of misery. And it was all self-inflicted. He didn't have to go. But he injured himself. You see, this is always what the backslider does. It is self-harm. It is to turn from Christ and to walk afar off to your own heart. This is one of the greatest reasons why the Christian needs to avoid the terrible danger of backsliding. We need to avoid it at all costs. Because of the great damage it does, not only to Christ, but also to ourselves. The truth is, backsliding is something we as Christ's people should greatly fear. This is what we should fear. Falling away. And as such, we should cling to Christ and we should look to him and we should pray about this issue. Lord, help me today to live for thee. Help me today to be faithful to thee. Deliver me from walking afar off. So we have here the damage of backsliding. But then notice with me, secondly, the disease of backsliding. In verses 13 to 16 here in Galatians 4, Paul speaks of how the disease of backsliding had impacted the believers in Galatia. Physically, how we know that we are sick or have some particular ailment is usually through some symptoms that manifests itself. Some symptoms. People go to the doctor because they're not feeling well. They are out of sorts. They're worried about some abnormality that they have noticed. Some symptoms has showed itself and they're concerned. And so they go to the doctor because of this. Well, backsliding is a spiritual sickness or disease in the heart and life of the Christian. That's what it is. It's a spiritual ailment. Spiritual sickness. As Paul then speaks to the Galatians 
about the disease of backsliding, which they had fallen into, he points here to the symptoms of the sickness in their lives. We actually see here in these verses, verses 13 to 16, that the apostle points to two telltale signs, or two symptoms of the disease of backsliding in the heart of the Christian. See here, Paul speaks of how the Galatians in their backslidden state had lost their affection. They'd lost their affection. That's the first symptoms. They'd lost their affection. This is drawn to our attention in verses 15 and 16. Verse 15 tells us, Where is then the blessedness you speak of? See, he's pointing back here. Where? Where's the blessedness you speak of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Notice here Paul speaks of the great love that was found in the hearts of the Galatians when they first heard the gospel and believed in Christ. The great love that was found in their hearts. Such was their love and affection for Paul, Christ's servant. And that's why they loved him, because he was Christ's servant. Such was their love for him, that if needed, they would have plucked their own eyes out and given them to Paul, that he might continue to serve Christ. If this was something that was needed, they would have plucked their very own eyes out. Such was their love for him. These words are all setting forth the great love, the deep affection these people had for Christ. They were willing to sacrifice their very eyesight for the cause of the gospel. But then Paul points to the chains that had taken place in their hearts. In verse 16. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. See the difference now? They had grown hard in heart. Their love and affection for Paul had evaporated. And they were now treating him as an enemy because he told them the truth. Is it any wonder that Paul says at the very start of verse 15, Where is then the blessedness? Where's your love? Where's it gone? Where's your zeal and affection for Christ? What we're clearly taught here is the very heart of the backslider's problem is the issue of love. Love and affection for Christ. And that is the symptoms that the backslider always shows. A lack of love for Christ. The backslider, like the church at Ephesus, has left their first love. They have left their first love. Indeed, here is the great acid test in regard to our spiritual state. Are we in love with Christ? We're dealing with the subject of backsliding tonight. But we need to prove our own hearts. We need to examine our own souls tonight. How do we do that? Well, here's one of the ways. Are we in love with Christ? How is our love for him? Or has our hearts become cold and hard? Could I just put that question to you tonight? What about your love for Christ? As Paul spoke to the Galatians here, he was pointing back, where is then the blessedness you speak of? He was pointing back to a time when things were different. A time where their love burned bright and hot. Now, as you look back tonight, can you look back to a time when things were different? 
A time where your love burned hot and glowed brightly for Christ. But that's not the case tonight. That isn't the case at present. Your heart's cold and hard. This is a sign of this disease and we need to be careful. But notice also here the Galatians in their backslidden state had not only lost their affection, they'd also lost their appetite. They'd lost their appetite. See now verses 13 and 14. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh you despised not nor rejected but received me as an angel of God even as Christ Jesus. Paul here speaks of how, as he preached the gospel to the Galatians at the very beginning, he did so in a state of weakness and feebleness. A state of great weakness and feebleness. He says, through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. We don't know what this infirmity was that Paul had. We don't know. There's different people have different theories and opinions. It obviously was a physical weakness And this physical weakness hampered him in preaching. Some would say that Paul was not a naturally gifted public speaker. For we read in 2 Corinthians 10 in the verse 10 of how people said of him, his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. His bodily presence was weak and his speech contemptible. This would certainly suggest that Paul was not winning and wooing the crowds with great oratory. And captivating preaching. Yet, he says of the Galatians here in verse 14. My temptation, the word temptation here is another reference to his infirmity, his weakness. My temptation which was in my flesh, ye despise not, nor reject it, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. See here how they at the first received the truth which Paul preached. As Paul preached in all his weakness and all his infirmity and all his contemptibleness. It was as if Paul was an angel of God or even as Christ Jesus. The thought is, he was Christ Jesus' messenger. He was Christ to them, bringing Christ's words to them. And that's how they received him. As if they were sitting at the very feet of Christ. It was a delight to them to hear the word preached. It was a thrill to hear the gospel. And they had a real appetite for the word, you see. But then as Paul asks the question in verse 16, I may therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. We see again a great change in their hearts. They're no longer delighted in the truth. They no longer have a desire and appetite for the preaching of God's word. Instead, it annoys them. It offends them. Paul has to say, am I your enemy because of this? Simply because I preach the truth. You see, another sure sign of a backslidden heart is a sad lack of desire for spiritual things. Especially the word of God. No appetite for the word of God. No appetite for the worship of God. A sad lack of desire even for the place of prayer. And this is evident here amongst these people. They had lost their affection. They had lost their appetite. As we then think of the disease of backsliding, 
We need to examine and closely examine our own hearts. Are the symptoms of spiritual sickness found within us? Are they? Do we have an appetite for the word of God? An appetite for prayer? An appetite for the worship of God? Is our hearts affectionate in regard to Christ? Do we love him who loved us? Is he precious to us? Is he dear to us? This is the disease of backsliding. But then in the third place, notice not only here the disease of backsliding and the damage of backsliding, but the deception in backsliding. And this is brought before us in verses 17 and 18. It says there in verse 17, They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected, always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you. Notice here in these verses, Paul is speaking of zeal. He keeps referring to zeal. He speaks in verse 17 about the zeal of the false teachers. And then in verse 18, he speaks about zeal for that which is good and right. And yet the great point that God's servant is making here is in the Christian life, we must make sure we are zealous for the right thing. Or as verse 18 says, zealously affected always for a good thing. And really, this is what Paul is saying to these people here. Oh, the false teachers will come along with their zeal. And they want you to be affected with this. But you need to be zealously affected always in a good thing or for the right thing. You see, this is very often where the Christian is deceived and falls into a backslidden state. When our zeal is misplaced. And we are not zealous for the right thing as we ought. This is exactly what happened in the church in Galatia. Because of the preaching of the false teachers, many in the churches in Galatia were filled with zeal for rituals and ceremonies and Judaism. This is what they became zealous for. And in focusing upon these things, in focusing upon their own works and deeds and religious activities, their zeal for Christ waned and faded. That's what happened here. They were carried away, zealously carried away. And distracted by other things. And their zeal for Christ. Well it fell away. And faded. Now as we live in this world. Where we are continually surrounded. By temporal things and many temptations. It is vital. That we as Christ's people. Are not deceived in becoming more zealous for other things. Instead of Christ. It is so easy to be caught up. And to be drawn away by the things of this world. And earthly and temporal things consume all of our time. And we become, or we have no time for Christ, no time to spend in fellowship with him. And this can so easily happen. Many Christians have been tripped up here. The things of this world have, have come in and they've so taken over that they have lost out with Christ. Indeed, this was the very pitfall that Martha, the sister of Mary and Lazarus, fell into. While Mary was zealous for Christ, while she sat at Christ's feet and drunk in his word, we read of Martha. Martha was cumbered about much serving. There she was. And she was a hard worker. She was a caring person. Because she was concerned about other people in the house being served. 
so many things commendable about Martha. So many things likable with this dear lady. But she was zealous for the wrong thing. Her mistake was she was more zealous about serving than the Savior. That was her mistake. When it comes to the backslider, there is always misplaced zeal. Always misplaced zeal. The backslider has not got their priorities right. They have been deceived into thinking there are more important things in life than their relationship with Christ. That is how the backslider has been deceived. Not understanding that there, there are nothing, that nothing in this world is more important. Nothing in this world is more important than our relationship with Christ. The backslider fails to grasp this, fails to understand this. And they get carried away with the issues of their life. And the problems of their life. And the prosperity of this world. And all that is happening around them. And they get so focused upon temporal and earthly things, they lose out. And they take their eye off that which is most important. How important it is that we zealously follow Christ. It is vital. So vital. And that we don't let anything come between us and our Savior. Because this is how the backsliders deceived. They let things come between them and their God. And so we have the deception and backsliding here. In the fourth place, notice with me the doubt in backsliding. The doubt. See now the words of verse 20. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. As Paul speaks of the spiritual state of affairs in the churches in Galatia, he utters these very troubling words. I stand in doubt of you. Stand in doubt of you. In other words, Paul was saying to these people, there is a question mark which hangs over your spiritual position. Even your spiritual position as God's people. The phrase here, stand, I stand in doubt, could also be rendered, I am perplexed. I am perplexed. And the thought is, Paul was perplexed about many of the people in the churches in Galatia. Not knowing what to think of them. Not really knowing what to think of their spiritual state. Were they genuine believers who had been deceived by false teachers and had fallen into this backslidden state? Was this their condition? Genuine believers who had just been deceived and duped by false teachers and had fallen into this spiritual decline? Or were they false professors of Christ who had never been genuinely saved? These never been genuinely converted? Without doubt, there were people found in both these categories. Without doubt there were people found in both these conditions in Galatia. But the point that Paul is really making here is the backslider can have no assurance that it is well with them spiritually. The backslider can have no assurance that it is well with them spiritually. And this is why Paul says, I stand in doubt of you. I stand in doubt of you. The sad thing is there are many people And they refer to themselves as backsliders, thinking that this means in regard to salvation or in regard to heaven and hell, everything is okay. Oh, I made a profession. I said a prayer. But I'm a backslider. I'm a backslider. Oh, yes, I believe. It's okay. I believe. And I've trusted in Christ. But I just live like the devil now. But I'm a backslider. And there's many people in our land. And this is how they think and this is what they say. Yet the person who is not living in fellowship with Christ 
can have no assurance. Can have no assurance that it is well with their soul. The opposite is the case. The backslider ought to be in doubt of themselves. Paul was in doubt of these people. The backslider ought to be in doubt. They really ought to be in doubt. There is no comfort, you see, in being a backslider. There's no comfort at all. There's no assurance in this. None whatsoever. The reason why this is the case is because the backslider does not know if they're a lot or a Judas. The backslider doesn't know if they're a lot or a Judas. Remember a lot? I've referred to a lot already. If the Bible didn't say that Lot was a believer and a righteous man, you almost would have concluded that Lot was never a true believer. The Bible tells us this. Yes, he was a backslidden man. Injured himself, as I've already referred to. But he was a Christian. Was a believer. Whereas Judas, who was Christ's disciple, and everybody accepted him to be one of his followers, a genuine believer. In the end, he showed himself up to be a false professor. Now, the backslider doesn't know whether they're a lot or a Judas. They don't know that. So therefore, they can't have any assurance. There's no comfort in being a backslider. I know that men and women would realize this. Well, that they would understand this. Paul speaks here of how there's doubt in backsliding. Great doubt. And so we have here the damage of backsliding, the disease of backsliding, the deception of backsliding, the doubt in backsliding. One last thing, let me mention very quickly, and that is the deliverance from backsliding. This is what Paul speaks of in verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. What tender words Paul uses here. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again. Until Christ be formed in you. Here's the only way the Christian can be delivered from the spiritual problem of backsliding and be restored. It is by looking again to Christ by faith and seeking after his grace and power in your heart and life. That Christ might be formed in you. Christ might be formed in you. The word formed here means fashioned. The backslider needs Christ by a spirit to fill and fashion their lives. That's what they need. They need Christ to come in afresh. They need Christ to come in again. Work graciously in their souls. They need his help. They need his power in their lives. They need to look to him afresh again. The wonderful truth is, Christ always stands ready. He always stands ready and willing to restore and renew his wayward children. And this is the nature of our Savior. This is the kindness of his heart. The love that's found in his soul for his own children. He always stands ready and willing. No matter what we have done, no matter how far we have fallen, our Savior stands ready and willing to restore and recover and to welcome and to bring in. Think of the words to the church of the Lady of Saints in Revelation 3. And remember that church was a backslidden church. But what did Christ say to that church? Here was his message to them. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. This was not Christ speaking to the unsaved. This was Christ speaking to his people. He was knocking the door, wanting to come in with them, to renew fellowship with them, to restore them. How gracious and loving is the Lord to his wayward children. How gracious and kind and loving. This is why the Lord by his spirit moved Paul to write this very letter to the Galatians. They had wandered. They had been deceived. They had given heed to false teachers. But the Lord didn't turn his back upon these people. He he moved Paul to write this letter. Because he desired to see his backsliding people delivered and restored. This is what he desires. Maybe I'm speaking to someone in this meeting tonight. And you're in a state of, of coldness of heart. A state of, of backsliding. And maybe you feel a sense of shame and guilt. Let me say this. Christ is knocking at your heart's door. Desiring fellowship with you again. Desiring restoration. And he's the answer. It's only in him that we can be restored. It's only in Jesus Christ that the sinner can be saved from their sin. But it's only in Jesus Christ that the backslider can be restored also. And so therefore Christ is the answer. Really tonight, as we come to the very end, we can say this in regard to every spiritual problem that we have. Christ is the answer. It's to have Christ formed in us. More and more and more. Even as Paul desired for the believers in Galatia. That Christ will be formed in them. They will be fashioned like unto Christ. They will be renewed like unto him. This was what Paul was beseeching the Galatians. They would be as him. And they would be restored. And God by spirit would even say this tonight. To you tonight in this meeting. Who are cold and wayward at heart. He would, he would desire to be, to see you restored, to come to him afresh. Oh, if you are in a backslidden state, let me encourage you to look to Christ, to call upon him. And you will know his renewing, his restoring grace. Christ indeed being formed in you afresh. May this even be the case in all of our lives. That we would know more of Christ, more of his power, more of his work in our souls. I trust God will bless his word to our hearts this evening for his own name's sake. Amen and amen.